Welcome to the podcast once again. My name is Greg. My name's Alicia. You have made it to another episode of Blood, Fear, and Beer, and I hope you're doing well. I hope so, too. I know. I'm doing pretty fucking great. Are you? I am. I'm, I am, too. I had a good week. I had a good day. I have a great dog. We have the best dog, you guys. I just have to say. I know everybody says that, but... He's I'm not really, the best, but I do love him. He's the best for us. Okay. He's the best for us. I can objectively say he's not the best. <laughs> yeah, he's, <laughs> he's got a long way to go. <laughs> he's in training. He's best dog in training. Yes, best, but I just, I'm best taking future him good for boy. <laughs> a walk earlier and just saw him in the fall sunset light standing on a hill. And he just looked magnificent. And I was like, this is my puppy. And he's fucking fantastic. And I love him. Even if he's going to be loud while we record. After and we built him up like that, nobody's going to be mad. And I have a tasty beer to drink in front of me. That looks fancy as fuck. And you have a tasty beer to drink. I sure do. What are you drinking? I am drinking something that I am just a huge sucker for, which is a seasonal Halloween-themed beer. And I want to test something tonight. I want to see if these beers are actually good. Because the last few times I've tried one of these, they have not been good. But this one looks promising. So this is a scary good pumpkin ale from Two Roads Brewing, and it is called, you ready for this? Rhodes Mary's Baby. Ha! Rhodes Mary's Baby. Delightful. Can't wait to try it. I knew you were going to buy that as soon as I saw it, because <laughs> I had a pun, and it was Rosemary's Baby. And it's a Halloween-themed beer. I was always going to buy it. There was no avoiding it. Let's try it. Yeah, it's fine. Fine? It's, it's fine. Not great? Ooh, the aftertaste is good. It's kind of like, I like it because the last pumpkin beer I had was very, um. Flat? Well, it was very flat and it was also very in your face. Like there was too much going on. This is just a nice, mellow fall beer with a little bit of pumpkin-y spice taste in the, on the back end. Nice. I like it. It's nice. You want to try it? I do. It's been a while since I've had a tasty pumpkin to pumpkin spice beer yeah. that wasn't shitty. I want to try that smashed blueberry again from, I think it was Shipyard. That was bomb. It's fine, right? Better than the other one. A lot better than the other one. I think... Are they flat this year or what? Does it taste flat to you? I just remember these being, these seasonal pumpkin beers being so fucking good and tasty. Maybe it's because of the pandemic and everything just being shitty. I don't know. (laughs) Ugh. Ugh. What are you drinking? Yours is probably going to be good. Better be. (laughs) No, I'm sure it's going to be great. Have you ever been let down by Stone? Oh, let there down? was that one. There was that one. The go-to IPA was nasty. Remember? That is true. That was really bad. But yeah. one out of, what, 200? 
Not bad. Nasty. <laughs> yeah, I did not like that. This, I probably will like. It is the 25th anniversary triple IPA. 25 Have they years really been ago. around for 25 years? That's what I said. Wow. Do you believe them? I do. They don't seem like liars. They don't. They're all scared. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. It's very that'll, pretty. That'll do fine. <laughs> Can I try it? It's yeah. tradition. Ooh, it smells really good. Mm -hmm. That is not for me. Surprise, Man, surprise. Make, yeah, they know how to make beer. I do get kind of a fruity aftertaste, though. I gotta see if I can buy stock for this. <laughs> <laughs> you should. <laughs> you totally should. Is it your dream to one day work for them? I wouldn't mind engineer? being uh, one of their, you know, like, designing their automation. That would be so cool. be pretty sweet. Yeah. Anyone listening, I'm an automation controls engineer. Yep. I can take care of your shit. He can take care of your shit. Anyway. So, what movie are we covering this week? This week, we are covering the 2006 Monster Madness South Korean movie from Bong Joon-ho, mm -hmm. otherwise known as The Host, not to be confused with Host or Perfect Host. Oh, man. Perfect Host was so good. <laughs> we got to cover that someday. Yeah. Put a pin in that. Come back to it later. Yeah. So, this is a creature feature from South Korea, and... Creature features normally aren't my go-to, although I do enjoy them every now and then, but this was a super fun movie. I had a blast. I yeah. picked it because I wanted something different, and we've had really good success with South Korean horror movies. We have. And obviously, Bong Joon-ho is pretty well known now in the States here. Yeah. After winning Parasite and after having a racist president. Talk shit on him. Yeah. <laughs> Parasite so, was amazing. It really was. So that's kind of where I got introduced to him as well. I think. Did we watch the other one beforehand or no? No. I didn't think so. Parasite was the first one. We started another one. I think it was Mother. Mother. I didn't like it. Yeah, I wasn't super into it, but I wouldn't mind finishing it someday. He has another one called Memories of Murder that I'm really interested in. Yeah, I saw but, a lot of people talking about that yeah. too. I haven't seen Snowpiercer yet, or I'm going to get the name wrong. Is it Okja? O-K-J-A? Yeah. I've heard really good things about that one. <laughs> Sorry. Greg's about to get his arm ripped off by her dog playing tug. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I actually haven't heard anything about those. I, I know that that one seemed to be relatively popular on Netflix for a long time. It was. Snowpiercers seems to be pretty popular. Mm -hmm. I think we started that just very, very briefly, and we just we weren't filling it at the time. We do that all the time. Yeah. So nothing against Snowpiercer, no. but we just weren't feeling it at the moment. But nevertheless, this was a hoot. I uh, I had a good time. I felt like it, like most movies, I felt it was too long. <laughs> it was, and I feel like for us especially, most of the movies we watch feel really long because we always have to pause it like 30 times. And it just drags it out. I do miss going to the movies where we can't pause it. And we That's have to just sure. watch yeah. the whole thing. That's for sure. It goes by a lot faster. It was a little bit long, though. I will, Even without pausing it, it's a two-hour movie. It's a two-hour creature feature. There That's is a lot more going on under the surface. There is a lot of great character development, which we'll talk about. Some themes to dive into. But 
around the middle part, I was starting to feel the length a little mm-hmm. bit. It dragged yeah. a little bit, but then it picked back up, and I, it was great. I They could have taken out a half an hour of that movie easily. Half an hour? That's I think lot. so. You think so? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. I feel like I always say that, but then when I really think about it, I'm like, what exactly would I cut from I that I could tell movie? you. You could tell me? I could tell you. Maybe you can tell me later. Okay. Or tell, a, tell us later. Yeah. I'm curious to know. So, before we actually get into the movie, there was a scene... Uh around the middle with these two brothers. It was an older brother and a younger brother. They're both kids. It's like a teenager and a young kid. And they were talking to each other about basically their struggles and they're out there trying to survive. They're homeless and they seem to be orphans. The older brother takes some food to feed his younger brother. And the younger brother's kind of unsure about it. And the older brother explains to him, no, this is showery. The borrowing game. It's okay. We can do that. So I wrote that down because I wanted to look up what that is. And I found this really interesting web page called the Encyclopedia of Korean Folklore. And I want to check out what else they have on there because it seems really interesting. But they had a whole page on what Shori is and the origins of it and just kind of the cultural feelings around it. And it was pretty damn cool. So basically, Shori is the act of stealing food to prevent starvation. And it was basically a game that kids played, specifically kids. And there, fortunately, is kind of a general consensus in South Korea that children shouldn't starve. (laughs) I don't know why they were so damn liberal. (laughs) Liberal propaganda, if I've ever heard it. Anyway, This was particularly popular before the 1960s in farming communities, and the word-for-word definition of it, just real short, is the stealing of grain, fruit, and poultry for fun among children to satiate their hunger when there was food shortage during the agricultural off-season. So there would be certain times a year where the crops were not yielding enough food, and a lot of kids would not know where their next meal was coming from, so they would play this quote-unquote borrowing game. I don't know why they call it a borrowing game because they don't give it back, but there were... Maybe the idea is that when they get older, they'll have food available and kids will steal from them. Yeah, and it's it's really good for everyone in society when kids don't starve. So maybe the, you know there's that radical idea, too. And maybe that. it's something to do with the actual, like, trying to make it more acceptable for kids to do it. You know, saying that they're not stealing, they're borrowing. Yeah, and that's kind of the thing. Like, it was just kind of an unspoken agreed upon thing in South Korean culture that this is okay. Like they still, you know, if they got caught, they would face consequences for stealing, but it wasn't, you know, super severe or met with vitriol or hatred. There was kind of just an understanding that this needed to happen. So what they would steal would kind of depend on the age of the kids. So for younger kids, they would start off with like fruits and vegetables mostly, because that was the easiest to get. And with younger kids too, they also didn't necessarily know how to cook yet. So it was easiest to get fruits and vegetables. And then when they got a little bit older and were teenagers, they would try to test their skills and see if they could get like poultry and catch chickens. And that was obviously not easy to do. You had to get into the coop. You had to get out undetected with a chicken. A live chicken. It's so, a fun game. Right. Yeah. It's a game. It's like you learn how to be stealthy. You learn how to prepare food. It was also a really good source of knowledge for them to learn about like what seasons would yield which crops. And 
and how different crops were harvested, basically. So it was a learning experience for them in addition to a game, in addition to not starving. (laughs) Right. So all in good fun. Yeah, so the older kids would help the younger kids. They would kind of increase the difficulty of the food that they would take. (laughs) Basically, it was kind of a... How do I describe it? I'm totally blanking right now, but the more agile kids would actually do the stealing. And then the way that they word it is that the younger and clumsier kids would sit and watch and try to learn, <laughs> how, to try to learn how to do it. Sit on the sideline, kid. Watch how it's done. <laughs> and then it says that if they were stealing vegetables, potatoes would be the most popular because, you know, no explanation potatoes, needed. Yeah. <laughs> potatoes. But yeah, stealing poultry was the most daunting challenge. That was like the highest point to aspire to. And the coops were placed indoors because of weather conditions oh, and climate control. So that was like a serious stealth mission, getting a chicken. Nice. Yeah, that sounds like a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah. I had a lot of fun reading about that and learning about it. And it was something that just kind of jumped out to me when we were watching this movie. I had never heard that word before. I was wondering what it was, what the history was behind it. So that's one of the things I love about watching these international movies is learning about new cultures and learning new things that I'd never heard of before and just getting different perspectives. Yeah, and different folklore and things that their society is, has taken kind of, set, you know, that, that whole ancestral past and different things that we take for granted, you know? Yeah. It makes it a lot more interesting, I think. It does. And Bong Joon-ho is a really interesting director because I've only seen this movie in Parasite, but from what I gained from those two movies and what I've read about him. He is, as you can tell, very political and always has something to say. (laughs) Always has something to say with his movies. And most often he seems to be making commentary on class division. So it was really cool to see that show up in this movie too. It wasn't just a fun monster movie. There was a lot more going on here. And I really appreciated that. Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit, it wasn't like a little bit, it was pretty on the nose. If I have any critiques about this movie, it would be that it was just maybe a little bit heavy handed, but so was Parasite and that was great. So I I don't think he's trying to sneak anything in there or hide anything. Yeah, I think, well, just the nature, I feel like there's a good jumping off point or pivoting point. You know, just the nature of this creature and like what makes this movie creature feature relatively unique is the fact that in most creature features like the creature is mysterious and you don't really get to see it and that's kind of the thrill of it yeah but in this one it's just boss the walls loud and proud out and get used to it i loved that and i think that just kind of goes with the whole vibe of that it's it's like a heavy handiness but handy it's a heavy <laughs> heavy handedness but with that tongue-in-cheek aspect to it. Yeah. I actually remember reading something about that when I was reading a little bit about this movie and about Bong Joon-ho as a director. And something that he really wanted to hammer home with this movie was that, because I mean, we'll get into the plot details and everything, but this monster appears after toxic waste is dumped into the Han River at the instruction of an American. He really wanted to hammer home the idea that sometimes the danger is that obvious and is that apparent and that bad. Like there's no pussyfooting around it. Yeah, I got it. Um, so I got. I have to mention this uh, that beginning scene and how this monster. Well, 
Let's take a step back before we get too far. Yeah, give us a quick synopsis just real quick. quick. It's pretty simple. Pretty simple. (laughs) Yeah. We have ourselves a situation in which a American. American. As Alicia would say. (laughs) Personnel, military personnel, has ordered some individual at a morgue, a South Korean, to dump a bunch of formaldehyde down the drain. And the individual tries to protest, but sir... <laughs> That's where we get our drinking water from. Cause it's all going down to the Han River. Well, nevertheless, pour that shit down the drain. All ninety-six bottles go down the drain, and then some years later, lo and behold, a giant fish monster pops out of the sea or out of the river and starts just throwing people into its mouth. Yeah. And that's kind of the synopsis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the creature feature. That's the gist of it. <laughs> uh, you, we have ourselves a, a dysfunctional ragtag family that is at the heart of this movie. Delightful. And ends up being the saviors. But that is the synopsis of the movie. Very well done. Now, what I wanted to get at was that beginning scene. So I had read that this was based on a true event. And oh, I had shit. to... Um, I kind of just take IMBD's word for this. You never, never, never. Do. So I actually found the Stars and Stripes article where they talked about this individual, and it was a Mister McFarland was the American U.S. <laughs> military personnel that ordered. Uh, I think it was actually two South Korean individuals working at a morgue to pour 96 bottles of formaldehyde down the drain. Holy shit. So it was exactly 96. It was exactly 96 bottles. Wow. And they protested. And I think he ended up, like, writing them up for disabordinance, even though he eventually made them do it. Oh, I'm sorry. I have a correction. It oh. was 192 16-ounce bottles oh, of formaldehyde. <laughs> and this was back in February 2000. And there was this... Long, ongoing legal battle because when South Korea found out about this, because of the two individuals that I think got some kind of disciplinary action for trying to basically, you know, voice their objections to a superior, they were pissed because this is where they get their water from. Yeah. And they just dumped a bunch of toxic chemicals down there. And so they wanted to basically penalize Mr. McFarland. And the U.S. military stepped in and said... He works for us. He's under our jurisdiction, even when he's in your land. And so it was basically this whole, It's I think it was like a long process where these South Korean judges and basically South Korea was outraged because it was their soil and they wanted to be able to uphold their laws on their soil, but they weren't able to. And so even though I think there was like some kind of small $4,000 fine or something like that that was imposed upon him. $4,000? Yeah. Wow. He never served any time or anything like that. So that's where that scene came from. That was all very real. That all took place. And he uses it as this pretense of like sometimes bad shit happens for really stupid fucking reasons. Yeah. And it is just blatantly that. I mean, when you see that scene, it is almost ludicrous to watch it. Like, it seems like a ludicrous thing. But that happens. But that happened. Yeah. (laughs) And that's, you know, I think that was kind of the whole point about that was stupid shit happens and bad things happen because of it all of the time. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe last time it didn't result in a man-eating fish monster, but next time it might. Next time it very well might. 
I'm not going to rule it out as a possibility. Don't rule it out. I won't rule it out. So we go on from the development of this fish monster to this thing jumping up out of the Han River sometime later. I forget how many years it was. Like I think seven it was years like or something like that. 2002 to 2006. I think it was four years. A four-year yeah. period. Yeah, this thing just jumps up out of the river out of nowhere and is like running like a mad dog. It's a fish <laughs> with legs, people. And... <laughs> Running like there's no tomorrow, like he's running the Kentucky Derby. And again, fish with legs. <laughs> and just starts throwing people into his mouth. <laughs> and it's got, it almost looks like uh, if you've seen Stranger Things. Yeah, it looks like a demigorgon kind it of. Looks, with, uh, with tentacles. Yeah. And it's, I also heard red. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot what that thing you did with your eyes on words was called. <laughs> Reading. I also heard it described as a sewer chimera. Oh, that's perfect. Which was perfect. Yes. Scout, would you go sit down? <laughs> Jesus. Go lay down. Christ. Go lay down. So the first 20 minutes of this movie was perfection. Absolutely. Holy shit. That was by far my favorite part of the whole movie was the first 20 same, minutes. Same. Oh my God. How fun. It was so good. That shot of the, the first shot of it hanging from the bridge, and then it just drops with this colossal splash into the river, and then you don't see it again, and then we get our dad from our lovely family that I'll, I'll talk about in a second, but they work at a food stand, and he's serving food to this family, and then his jaw just drops, and he looks behind them, and everyone turns around, and like you said, this thing is just barreling down the riverbank, knocking people out of the way, throwing them in his mouth, in its mouth, and just chaos ensues. And that whole sequence was incredible. The whole thing. So good. That part where they all get stuck in that trailer, and then it just busts through the door, and they're all stuck inside with it, and there's blood flying, the whole thing's shaking. Well, he doesn't even bust through it, but he's in there, and it's like rumbling. And well, then... to get in it, he just... But they they yeah, lock yeah, themselves yeah. in there, and he just barrels through the door. Well, I don't think they got a chance to lock it, but anyways, he yeah. barrels into this thing where people are trying to uh, shield themselves and hide from this monster, <laughs> and the other side is actually padlocked with a chain on the other end. So and they're just, just getting smushed in there. It, yeah, you just hear all this shit going on, and then this our protagonist dad is there... And this other random dude, who I think is actually the only, like... Frosted Tips white savior. Yeah, Frosted Tips white savior. <laughs> he's coming, he's like, I'm gonna help you. You know, and, like, they go and open up this, somehow pry this thing open, or open the door, and the fish monster just comes out, and there's, like, blood seeping through, like, everybody in there has been destroyed. I love that scene. And then the best, the best part of that whole fucking thing is when the dad, and the dad's like this... Just kind of lazy. He's so goofy. Goofy. Not goober, the brightest bulb bull in the bunch. Kind of a drunk. Yeah. You know, like drinking in the middle of the afternoon. With his middle school daughter. Sharing a cold one. <laughs> and um, he's running his ass off and everyone's running. And he's like the only one that really seems to be cognizant at the same time of like how to deal with this. Like everyone else is really panicked where he seems a little bit more with it somehow. Yeah. Or at least more like able to to cope with the situation yeah and you just see him and his, his daughter again his middle school daughter who looks like she's 12 years old maybe yeah is out there in the middle of the field and you see this fish monster coming well and he at first he's running with her and has her yeah. hand and as this is like my favorite scene of the whole movie <laughs> he's like running <laughs> and all you see is him and this little hand 
and you assume it's the daughter. And all of a sudden, like, I think another dude comes up and grabs the other hand and it kind of pans and he grabbed the wrong little girl. <laughs> and then the father of this little girl is like looking at him like, where the fuck did you grab my little girl? And the girl? camera's like slow-mo tracking yeah. them as they Tracking run. the whole thing and it like pans and you see the fish monster now coming to grab the little girl. Oh my his God. Daughter. And it's, it's, it's so, so sad, sad, but, but also so funny. hilarious. Best scene oh in the God. movie for sure. I feel like that's a, Based on the two movies I've seen so far, Bong Joon-ho has such a gift for that. Like, Parasite was also hilarious, but I was crying at the end of it. And this movie, too, there were some just really sad moments. Yeah, he does have have this weird and very unique talent of making a situation both unbearably hard to watch, like a heart-wrenching, emotional, distressing scene also simultaneously be really fucking funny. Yeah. And it makes you feel really uncomfortable because you're not sure how you're Like, you're laughing and you're like, oh shit, this is fucked up. Like when the whole family is sobbing on the floor because the daughter just got taken by the monster and the thing she said, but they're so extra about it that you can't help but laugh. Yeah. That's a gift. (laughs) It is, yeah. It's a a very... I, I don't know. I've seen another director really do it that way you know he's kind of known for that too like the really well played just black humor and also being able to so suddenly shift tones without it being like feeling out of place i that's exactly what i was just gonna say he has this way of like flip-flopping between the the funny and the serious but in a non-jarring way yeah it works he pulls it off really well and i wanted to introduce the family real quick like, who's who? Because they're going to be coming up a lot. And they're just really the stars of the show. But, you know, one of my favorite things about this movie, aside from the first 20 minutes, that whole sequence, which was great, is that this is a monster movie that puts so much stock into its characters. And every single one of them was so well developed. And this movie had so much heart for being a creature feature. And I really appreciated that. So Bong Joon-ho also loves to center the working class in his movies and most of them will feature like some sort of kind of down on their luck dysfunctional family and this movie is no exception to that so our main character is Gangdu which is the father and he also played the father in Parasite he was great in that too he's absolutely hilarious so he's the father and then Namju is Gangdu's sister and It's shown toward the beginning that she is uh, a professional athlete and she's an archer. So we see her on TV before we're actually introduced to her. I think she's performing in the Olympics. I think so, yeah. Actually, I know. So she's an Olympic archer. Yeah, because she she ended up winning the bronze. Then we have Namil, who is the third sibling, their brother, and Haibong, who is the grandfather, who really tugged at my heartstrings. Uh, really, I, really got me. Grand, grandfather, grandfather stuff. Grandpa say, shit grandpa, always gets it. Yeah. Grandpas just tug at my heart, heartstrings. But what a sweetheart! My heartstrings. My heartstrings. My heart. So kind of dysfunctional family. And the first thing that I that really tugged at me was just the relationship between Gangdu and his daughter. He obviously loves her so much. He's not the smartest guy. He's not the world's number one dad. He, you know, he's sharing a beer with his 12-year-old daughter. Trying to share a beer with his 12-year-old daughter. But 
there's a really touching scene where they're kind of arguing back and forth and she says something about like how shitty her phone is and she needs a new phone and then he shows her that he has this huge jar of change that he's been putting all of his extra change into so he can save up to buy her a new phone and i thought that was so sweet yeah even though it's like you know it's all pennies it's like pennies yeah. yeah but he's he loves her and he's doing his best and it's briefly mentioned in passing later that her mother just took off. She abandoned them. And Gangdu is a single dad, which is kind of interesting because I was thinking of, I think in The Wailing, there's a single dad, if I remember correctly. I believe so. And Train to Busan. Yeah. I don't know if I'm just connecting dots that aren't actually there, but... I wonder if there's um, a higher rate of that in South Korea. Maybe. I feel like every character was kind of given a fatal flaw that ends up helping them later in a way. Like for Gangdu, he's not super smart, has a really hard time articulating what he's thinking and actually getting words out. And I think the most prominent one was for Namju, the sister, where she's too slow, like physically too slow. So she ends up missing her... She's slow to react. Slow to react. So she ends up missing, you know, the money shot in the Olympics because she takes too long to fire off her bow. And the time runs out. And then there's that great escape scene where they get captured. They're in the lab and they pull a heist to make an escape. And they pull around to pick her up. And she's just like walking through the parking structure. (laughs) And they're like, holy shit, come on. And then she has a chance to shoot the monster like two thirds of the way through. Takes too long and just gets knocked the fuck out (laughs) and pushed off the side of an embankment. And, you know, she finally gets her glory shot at the very end. But... It was kind of funny and interesting how they all had like their their flaws and their problems and they each had to kind of go through their own journey that way. Yeah, I mean, she's obviously like the most successful of the kids. Yeah. And the other brother seems like he's tried to make himself a success but kind of has failed at it. Like he's still, you know, wearing a business suit and trying to seem like he's got his shit together, but at the same time, he seems like he really doesn't have his shit together. And actually, like, one of the first scenes in the movie is the daughter talking to the dad and saying that she could smell booze on the uncle when he picked her up from school. Yeah, that's right. You know, that's, like, yeah. one of the first things we learn about him. And the dad's like, what is he doing drinking at this time of the day? Yeah. As, as the dad's cracking a beer. Right, which is sure with his 12-year-old daughter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But yeah, definitely a dysfunctional family in that sense. I, I love that the dad, because it seems like both siblings really blame the dad for losing the daughter, right? Yeah. And they also just kind of seem to be down on him in general. Yeah. And there's this really endearing scene later on in the movie where yes. they've, you know, broken out because the, you know, the military comes in or what it seems to be the military or the police state or whatever comes in and does like this whole quarantine thing and everybody that's been associated with this fish monster Oh, so they thing. made up a virus, right? Or we find out that they Well, they think there's a virus because somebody broke out in a rash. Right, right. And so at that point, they think this fish is spreading a virus around. So this, there's this really endearing scene where you know, they've gone through and they've broke, broken out of this whole institution where they're trying to be quarantined. And the father has basically given up his entire life savings to get them a car and some guns and try to get out of there. And this is uh, Gangdu, right? Not the grandfather? No, the grandfather. Oh, the grandfather. Okay. Yeah, the grandfather yeah. Oh, met right. with that's like right. basically the mob or some yeah. black market dudes and gave up everything because Gangdu gets a mysterious phone call 
from what appears to be his dead daughter saying that she's alive. Yeah. And, and which was his daughter. Yeah, well, I mean, but it's still mysterious to them. Like, we know it as the audience that she's actually still alive because this fish monster sometimes regurgitates people or just brings them back alive. Saves them for later. Save them for later. Yeah. And so he's, you know, incensed with this need to go rescue his daughter, obviously. And in doing, and the, the grandfather goes and, again, gives up his life savings, essentially, and gives them debt to just get them a getaway car and some cash and try to get out of there. And the whole family is in on this together. And it's they've gone through some shit. And they're kind of running around, and they know that she's in a sewer, so they've been trying to basically just drive around all of South Korea and check every single sewer that meets the description that the daughter kind of gave them. Yeah. So they're they're going through a bunch of shit, and they're having a hard time, obviously. One after another, finding nothing. And there's this really endearing scene where, like, the, the siblings have been, like, just talking mad shit, essentially, on... Gangdu and you're just constantly roasting yeah, him and constantly him. roasting yeah. him and he's just like in such distress and he's such a loving father and the grandfather like sits down and is like can you just imagine what this guy's been through for just a fucking minute like his wife leaving him and having to raise this daughter on his own and then feeling like he let his daughter get you know failed by letting his daughter gets swallowed by this fish monster and still he's finding everything he has to try to save her like give him a fucking break yeah. essentially and it's another one of those like classic scenes it's both sad and hilarious <laughs> both sad and hilarious <laughs> because as the grandfather is saying this both the brother and sister are just completely conked out exhausted yeah. and asleep and he just goes on and, and on, on. he's like, like saying the nicest things yeah and then at one point he's like he lacked protein when he needed it most yeah. <laughs> Don't blame him too much. At one point, he says, I can tell by his farts if it's going to be an A plus day or a B minus day. <laughs> but it was so endearing. That whole segment was actually one of my favorite scenes. And I think it was right before that when they're all in this shack together, this fo- the food shack. I think it's I their, their it food shack, yeah, that they own. And they're all huddled around the table sharing food together. And it's really quiet and... For a moment, they have what seems to be a dream or a shared vision of Hyunsi sitting at the table with them, and they all just take turns feeding her. Oh, yeah. That was such a touching moment. It was. And then right after that, the grandfather dies. That was rough. That well, was and that was also scene. one of the scenes where Nanju missed a shot. Missed her shot. Oh, that's right. She missed another shot, and then it grabs... The grandfather. The grandfather. I mean, their dad. God, that was just devastating. Yeah. And then they start to run. Gangdu starts to run. And then he turns around and he just, he runs back and just grabs his father and is crying. And he, he's too devastated to even run away and gets captured because of it. But he just can't leave him. That was right. Because again, the military so is after them. Yeah. Because they're like fugitives. Yeah. It was so sad. There really was. So, I mean, there were some very endearing aspects of this movie there was a lot of fun stuff so earlier you said there was some stuff that you would cut out of this and i know that there are a lot of themes to dive into with this movie there's a lot going on but what did you think about the whole agent yellow subplot do you think that was necessary for like the message that this movie was going for or do you think that was just kind of thrown in there i felt i did feel like that was 
last minute and not necessary. Yeah. As far as some of the scenes, I didn't feel like were necessary at all. That took way too long. There is the scene where the brother goes to, you know, find his contact, like someone he feels is safe mm-hmm. to help him basically trace the call of Yunsi. And that guy ends up being a traitor and basically blackmailed him to get some money. That was a good scene, though. It was tense. Yeah, but it could have been, like, I feel like that, there's a lot of things that could have been a lot shorter. You know what I mean? Okay, yeah. Like, I, that could have been saying. shorter. Yeah. I also felt like the whole, there's, like, a long aspect of Gengdu, like, getting lobotomized, essentially, or, like, some kind of brain surgery thing. But then not lobotomized? That was interesting. Because they actually did drill into his head, but then, then he, he like was... broke out. And then he was his normal self. I, I didn't really yeah, that, get that. I didn't get that either. Like, yeah. it's, it took... That scene took up a lot of time. Yeah. Like, him being in there and interacting with all the medical personnel and the military personnel. And we have the guy from Silence of the Lambs that had a crush on Scully. And that distracted me. And crush then, on Clarice? Sorry, Clarice. Getting X-Files confused here. <laughs> Similar characters. If I do say so. Yeah, I see it. Nevertheless, there's just, there was just, it took a long time. It was a lot of ado about nothing. Okay. You know, I yeah. didn't know what happened with it. I didn't know what the point of that scene was. Other than the fact that they were willing to, like, drill into civilians' head just for the fuck of it. But I kind of, like, I already got Which that. Which wasn't surprising. I didn't need that. Yeah. You know, that took up a lot of time. It made me mad. But I think that also kind of hammers home the point that this movie was trying to make. was like, again, sometimes the danger is that obvious. That's fine. I feel like it was already made. It's fine. (laughs) It's fine. fine. I think things really start to ramp up again when going back to the two brothers that I mentioned at the beginning. Another really sad scene, the older brother is killed and the monster takes the younger brother. So now Hyunsi and the little boy are trying to survive together while her family is frantically trying to find her. And I certainly was not expecting the twist at the end of this movie after almost two hours of Hyunsi surviving and her family looking for her and everything that they went through, she doesn't make it. Yeah. That was, I was not definitely not a, uh, an American movie. No, <laughs> again, they like train to Busan did the same thing. That movie wrecked me. I was just ugly crying. Well, one thing I will say is that just kind of wrapping all this up, I did find that there was, obviously, it's a, a very political movie. You know, he's a political guy. The whole premise of how this started, basically just, whether you want to call it random acts of evil, I'd more call it like random acts of ignorance or random acts of indignation that can lead to unprecedented evil. Yeah. So that's one thing. And then there's also the idea of, you know, we have this, again, dysfunctional family that is responding to this. And I think there's something to be said about recognizing evil and the ability to respond to it. Because it seems like, and I guess we could tie the Agent Yellow theme into this. Like, that seems like a pretty absurd response to this. They're responding to a fish monster that was created by dumping a bunch of chemicals into the water supply by 
exploding a bomb that is going to dump a bunch of toxic chemicals into this entire environment and kill every living thing in its presence. It's a, an absurd response. And what I was getting at is that the these responses, these absurd responses, this absurd dictation of requiring to dump toxic chemicals into a water supply of local people, this is all done by the authorities. The authorities. Authorities. Okay. And... I think one point to get across is this idea of being able to recognize and respond to evilness or evil, you know, or bad deeds. And that is not something that authority and the infrastructure of bureaucracy has the tools for. 100%. That's so well said. So I, that, I think that's what he's kind of getting at with having this just your total layman's dysfunctional, drunk, flawed family being able to look and solve this problem. Whereas you have an entire institution of whatever agency you want to call it, but some kind of agency, whether it's police or military or some combination thereof, and it was their acts that created this and it was their acts that were going to do much more harm. Yeah, so well said. I'm not sure if it was, but I hopefully my it point was. got across. No, it was. Absolutely. So kind of segueing in this whole idea of the dysfunctional family being able to save the day. You know, the movie ends by them persevering, essentially, but also sacrificing. Yeah, like, at great it's cost. Their, it's their personal sacrifice that essentially, you know, saves soul. And we have this really intense and heroic ending where they found Hyunsi and it's like that American happy moment. Like, okay, they found the daughter. But then there's like this whole series of circumstances that take place and she dies. And, but you know, the other siblings come in. I really don't remember the movie that well. <laughs> you want to take over somehow? Yeah. So Namju finally gets her moment of glory and it's chaos at this point. There's protesters who have showed up. There's fire. The monster is loose. She, I think she misses the first shot with her bow, if I remember correctly. And then she gets another one, stabs a cloth with it, dips it in the fire, and shoots a flaming arrow and hits the creature right in the eye and kills it. Really amazing shot. And at this point, they've already lost Hyunsi, and it's devastating but then Gangdu takes in the little boy as his own, which was very touching. And the last scene of the movie is them sharing a meal together, and he's feeding this little boy. What do you what do you make of that? There's so much emphasis in this movie on, and you know, coming back to the showry thing again on feeding and nurturing and sharing food. I also think there's just so much more to be said about. Just the middle class or the lower class and just everyday people. Yeah. And the heroicism behind it. I think, I, I guess now that I'm kind of speaking this out, that's what it says to me. Like, they're heroic enough to take on a fish monster, Gang is, And he's also heroic enough to not only kind of, I don't want to say get past, but move forward from just an unspeakable 
unspeakable disaster in a familial sense. Yeah. You know, of thinking he lost his daughter, then going through all of this to save her after he found out that she wasn't actually dead, losing the grandfather along the way, and then losing her at the bitter end. Like, that's, that's fucked. It would be hard for anyone to come past that and yeah. just get through the other side. And not only does he get past, not again, not past it, but, you know, not only does he move forward with his life and not stagnate, but he actually takes in this little boy who also has seen heartache in his life and is in need of help. Yeah. And that that's a hero if I've ever heard of one. 100%. And so I think that's that's what I got out of it. And I think there's a lot to be said about his, when I say his, I, I obviously mean Bong Joon and his emphasis on this lower to middle class division and that that's basically the majority of the world. And I'm also a strong proponent that like, if you have that many people and the world hasn't gone to complete shit, it's not because some authority figure has put together a structure that is so great <laughs> that it prevents us from going to shit. It's because I'm my my thirteen year old self would be so mad at me right now. <laughs> it's because people are generally good. I really do think that. I, I do feel like the general class of people is good. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what this movie is emphasizing in a lot of ways is that Generally, these people are good and that some of the most horrific acts of evil that take place is both through these institutional means and or through regular people being ambivalent. Yes. Where his family was not. Yeah, this is this is a really good movie. I really enjoyed it. I did too. As we're talking about this more, I had a good time as we were watching it, and then it dragged out to me. So I got I got a little bored with it, to be honest. But as we were talking about it again, it's kind of bumped itself up a little bit, it's and I think a good. lot has to be said. Like you said, we'd like for some reason we like we can't just sit through a movie. Yeah, and not like it pause takes it thirty us fucking, fucking times. forever. <laughs> you know, like a one hour episode takes us two hours. Yeah. It takes us fucking forever to watch anything. So I'm going to try not to grade on the fact we can, <laughs> that we paused this. It's a well, good Well, we movie. can because we did. <laughs> no, ignore it. <laughs> I would I would happily recommend this movie to people. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No, watch this shit. Yeah, definitely watch it. It's on. Hopefully you didn't let us spoil the whole thing before you've seen it. But in case you have, it's on Hulu. It's great. Watch it. Yeah, or rent it somewhere else. Yeah, don't, it's awesome. Whatever. You don't have to rely on Hulu, but go buy go buy it from South Korea. <laughs> <laughs> a bootleg copy. Well, hold on. Okay. I thought it was two things, but there's one thing that I think that we need to mention. Okay. No, there's two things. I lied. Two things. Excellent. I was first correct, but then I lied. Okay. So the first thing is that the monster is modeled after Steve Buscemi's feral performance in Fargo. <laughs> what? Yes. According to Bong Joon-ho, just the, the whole nature of the fish monster is modeled. <laughs> After Steve Buscemi and Fargo? <laughs> yes. Okay, I dig it. I dig it. Okay. I'm not, I, could, I could kind of pick it up, but I'm also... I don't know if I made that connection, but yeah. That's what's okay. out there, okay? Okay. And the second thing is that 
South Korea was so stoked on this movie. Well, I, actually, I have three no, things. Wasn't this one of the highest grossing South Korean movies ever? Yeah, well, I have and three things, And then Parasite then. knocked that one out of the park? So, the second thing, I guess, which should be a, you know, a precursor, is that when Bong Joon-ho was looking to make this movie or thinking about making it, basically everyone he knew was like, don't do that. That's a terrible idea. Like, what are you thinking? Because he was going to make like, a Like, don't make creature. another monster movie? Yeah. And so he actually made a comment that I think really speaks volumes to his character that he said that these comments were like a thousand needles in his heart. Because he just felt so passionately about it. And so he actually worked on the script in secret because he didn't want anyone that he knew... To give him shit. To give him shit because they basically said, like, don't waste your talent on something as trivial and pointless as a creature feature. Wow. But he still went ahead and did it. And then, fuck them, it turned (laughs) around to be one of the most highest grossing movies in South Korea. And I think that the statistics were that... Basically, 20% of the population of South Korea went to go to the movies to see this. Holy shit. Now, granted, there's people that are, you know, like like your dad who goes see Lord of the Rings 12 times. Yeah, but so, still, But still, amazing. that's how many tickets. 20% of the population of South Korea, that's how many tickets got sold to go see this movie. It was wow. super popular. People loved it. And so much, though, and this is my favorite part, they actually created a statue of the fish monster on the banks of Han River. Are you shitting that me? That you can go to today. It's fantastic. Holy shit, that's you amazing. You gotta look it up. It's great. I need to look that up. That's amazing. Hang on. I want to look it up right now. And so, I, I that just, that really banged it out of the park for me. Like, I loved how much South Korea got behind this movie. I can't imagine a state getting behind a movie enough to make, like, alien a statue. Seriously, that's incredible. By NASA or something. Like, I would love that. That's incredible. Why don't we do that kind of shit? And so that really got me excited about this movie. Like, at the time, I wasn't... I enjoyed it. And I had a good time. But again, I was also, like, because of the pauses, I was bored and everything. But after researching and talking about it and seeing how excited South Korea was about this and, like, the political aspect of it and... The, the underdog aspect of it when it was like a creature feature that did so well. It's I'm pretty fuck, stoked. It's fucking awesome. It's pretty great. Bong Joon-ho rules. I want to watch Parasite again. I did too. That was just fantastic. Yeah, I loved it. So with all that being said, we have come to the ratings phase. So on a scale of 0 to 12 beers, what are you going to give the host? Uh, this, this is a tough one. I'm going to be honest. I know what mine is. I'm going to give this a nine. A nine? Hard disagree. Too low? That's way too low. That is, is too, I feel that like is I've been giving low. a lot of stuff at ten. Well, we've been watching a lot of good shit. Give it a ten. For All right. Reason. Okay. You know, my gut was ten, but I was, you know, Steve Vaughn. Go with your gut. He always said, don't question yourself. He would talk about how he would always play like in the same scale or whatever on the guitar. Yeah. And then he just, he was like, but it's fucking good. Like, why question yourself? Like, it's good. So, yeah. Go with it. Go with it. I'm going to go with the 10. You, you convinced me. Stevie Ravon convinced me. It's a 10. I am also giving it a 10. Loved it. That's the first time we've ever agreed. It's been a while. All right. I'm going to ask you this time, 
What kind of beer would you pair the host with? Well, South Korea is notorious for having terrible beer. Are they? That's what I've read. Okay. I haven't had any other beer, so I can't say, but I've read that they have terrible beer. So you're saying they don't have 300 microbreweries just sitting around? They should, because they're one of the richest countries in the world. (laughs) But they don't. That being said, I'm going to suggest the Sea Monster beer due to the river monster in this movie. You see the correlation? (laughs) The Sea Monster Ballast Point. Ballast Point Sea Monster beer. Excellent. I haven't had it, but Great it sounds choice. like it would work. Great choice. You've had a couple of their beers and you liked them, right? Yeah. I, they I, do a lot of IPAs. I enjoy their beers. I don't enjoy their price, nor <laughs> their, <laughs> nor do I enjoy just kind of their overall head up the assness. Okay. So you think they're a little pretentious? Smidge. Southern Southern just California a, brewery. Just a smidge. I want to try this beer because it's an imperial stout. I, I'm down and to try I'm, it too. I'm a fan. Good choice. I think a stout would work with this. Oh, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, I think I've cleared up my run of bad movies. Just kicked it up a notch. I think so too. You're on an upswing. I'm on an upswing or at least I had a pivot. Yep. I'm going to keep it going. Don't keep worry. Keep it. Keep it. What are we doing? We are closing out September, which means our next episode will be coming out in October at the height of spooky season. Not the height. The height of spooky season. That's the beginning. The apex of spooky season. (laughs) (laughs) Spooky season is in full swing. I'm fucking excited. I have been dying to do this movie. So I thought it would be fun for October for each of us to pick a movie from our favorite subgenre of horror. You know how much I love witches. You know how much I love the occult. So for our first October episode, we are going to be covering Pie Whack It. Pie Whack It? Pie Whack It! I'm so stoked! You guys, I am fucking obsessed with this movie. And I want to give a shout out again to the Married to Horror podcast and especially Leslie for recommending this movie because I am completely obsessed with it. I loved it. So much. I cannot wait to watch it again. I can't wait to talk about it. And this is from Adam McDonald, the same director as Backcountry, which we covered not that long ago. I'm fucking excited. I'm still, I'm not going to lie. I've actually been wanting to watch this again. It's so That movie good. has it's so good. One, of my, like, one of my all-time favorite spooky scenes. It has a lot of my favorite things in it. It is just the perfect spooky fall movie to get you in the mood for Halloween. And speaking of getting you in the mood for Halloween, keep an eye out for my 31 Days of Horror list that I will be posting soon. I'm super excited. If you haven't seen Pie Wacket, you have to see it. It's on Hulu for free or you can rent it, but definitely check it out. It's fucking awesome. Are you getting paid by Hulu? You're really promoting their shit. I know. Hulu is just, they've really stepped up their game. I was going to recommend Colossal earlier, too, since we were talking about monster movies. I loved that. Colossal, also recommend that. It was the one where the Anne Hathaway, where she was, like, controlling the monster. Oh, right, right, right. So good. That was good. It was, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Pie Whack It, I can't wait. I'm so excited. Pie Whack It is not whack. Not whack. It's, it it slaps. It's so good. Slaps, it doesn't slaps. <laughs> doesn't whack. Okay. Well. Okay. <laughs> you, guys, you guys can follow us on Instagram at Blood, Fear, and Beer Podcast. 
If you have questions for us, movie or beer suggestions, want to talk about anything at all, or if you want to tell us what you thought of the host, please do. You can email us at bloodfearandbeer at gmail.com. If you get a chance, and if you would like to say something nice about us, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review and a nice <laughs> comment on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> or say something shitty. It's okay. Be honest. But also, We again, don't, prom- we don't you- promote being a liar. Don't be a liar, but I'll say again, if you want to say something shitty, say it on Instagram so that other horror fans can still find us when they search us on Apple Podcasts or search for horror podcasts. Just saying. Whatever. And until next time, when we cover Pie Whack It, keep it spooky. Cheers, all. Join us again for another episode of Blood, Fear, and Beer. Night, night. Ha, 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 